You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris White. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm going to start a different format where I'm going to try to field a lot more questions that I get in the hopes of being maybe a little more helpful to people out there and in the hopes of doing that I'm going to also try to point people to good resources and things like that and I hope that this will continue. It's my desire to put out a podcast every Friday, rain or shine, and I hope this new format will help me to accomplish that. And you can help as well by helping me to have questions to answer. So I'm going to try in the near future to put up on the websites a very easy way on the front page to send me questions that you would like to hear me answer on the podcast. Uh, for now, though, I don't have any of that done. If you would like to, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash nowhere to run. Send me a private uh, message with a question. Or you can go to the main website, nowhere to run radio.com, hit the contact page, or just email me if you know an email. And just send me an email about any topic, you know, whether it's uh, doctrine or the news or um, whatever. You know, anything that's out there that you would like to hear me comment on. And I'll I'll do a little bit of research on it and see if I can figure out uh, a, a take that would be helpful. Okay, so let's just jump right in. First, I do have a few show notes that uh, that seems to be an ever-present thing. So I want to first talk about, in light of this new uh, change that I hope to, to accomplish, which has a lot to do with simplification and usability and this kind of thing, um, I want to. I would really like to find a good community for everybody that listens to this show. I know that's one thing that uh, that we have lacked around here is is a kind of way for people to get together and talk about things and people that are have similar interests and things like that. I have tried over the years to to build forums and have groups and these kinds of things. It's been a bit of an issue though because uh, you know it's one thing to have a forum. If you are just talking about something mundane, it's a totally different thing if you're trying to have a forum and you are talking about religious issues, doctrine, this kind of thing. And the reason is, is because of this phenomenon that happens of these wolves. I mean, it's like, for real, these these like religious wolves show up that are trying to... Um, indoctrinate people into extremely weird stuff. Like they they search it out. They they and they try to indoctrinate people that may not be very solid on on in, in their faith or understanding of doctrine, and to convert them into like all kinds of weird stuff. I would have never thought it was actually that real that they actually show up and try to do that. But it's not just that. It's also people that they themselves are maybe a little unstable, and they are um, subverting other people and stuff like that. And those are the kinds of things that. I have not wanted to do a a forum for because it would just be this huge new thing that I have to do. Like, okay, now I've got to moderate this or I've got to uh, get somebody to moderate it. And it's just a lot of extra work. So what I'm saying this for is I'd like to know if anybody uh, is already out there that, that knows of a good forum out there or a good Facebook group that's big, that has a, a room for uh, me to begin to promote and send a lot of people uh, that listen to this sh- show over there, that maybe they could even make another section on the forum or something similar like that. 
that has good moderation in, in, and I'm looking for something that would fit that bill. So if anybody knows of a Facebook group or a forum or something like that, um, I would like to, to hear about it. So I'm going to try to get that working in the next few weeks. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff going on with that kind of stuff, but I'll, 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 I'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So moving on to one aspect of this, I want to talk a little bit about media ministry. I'm real excited about media ministry, and that's a lot of the stuff that I do here is, is create videos and podcasts and this kind of thing, because really that's what what the world is is moving towards, a very, a very quick um, visual culture that has to be quick, it has to be visual, and it has to be audio, and it has to be well done in order to to penetrate a very difficult uh, mission field out there. So I really want to get better at at telling uh, a story and getting ideas to stick. In fact, I'm reading a book right now called Made to Stick. It's about um, really about how to make ideas stick, what makes ideas sticky and it's a really good book if anybody's interested in it. I would love to see somebody apply the principles of this book made to stick um, to things like the gospel. I, I would love to see gospel presentations that apply even a third of the the ideas in this book uh, made to stick but and that's part of what I what I'm wanting to do with it is actually to use it uh, for gospel presentations but as well as uh, you know I've got a lot of the things a lot of the things that I do are, difficult because the people and groups and, and that I'm trying to reach like for example let's take sleep paralysis for example to to get this idea into the mainstream of sleep paralysis I'm going to have to do something different I'm going to have to create something to make that stick to make it a part of the the understanding or the schema of of sleep paralysis when somebody thinks of it um, in addition, things like the prophecy stuff that I'm doing, or, or but, but particularly the gospel. All these things are, are hard audiences uh, to reach, and the, the subjects and things that I want to say about it, I think, are good ideas that need to be heard, but yet um, they have a tough audience. And so trying to, to, to understand and build on that, I think it would be great for people like uh, uh, pastors who who when they are doing a sermon, you know, there's certain ideas that they want people to carry with them. Um, in fact, I think this book, if you're a pastor, you need to get made to stick because it really is really for you. If you have a burden that I wish these people would, when, when they leave here, that they would have to talk about this at lunch. It would be something that uh, they have to remember, uh, not just just going to church to hear a sermon and that's great and to leave and to maybe recall that sermon later but to to make every sermon count and to make the things that you're burdened about that you want them to know uh, so it's really just about communication but you would be surprised how these fundamental things about f communication and making ideas stick are not often uh, em employed by professionals in the uh, the field of communication so um, but particularly media ministry I'd love to see this done with the gospel. My Facebook page has been, and what I want to continue to be, mostly really good presentations about either the gospel or something surrounding that idea. Uh, you know, mostly they're short videos, under five minute videos about the gospel. There's a few up there right right now. One that I think is great if you haven't seen it. It's called Falling Plates really like that one. It's really well done. But that's the kind of thing that I would like to see more. More of those just brilliant 
um, short presentations of the gospel that get the core message of the gospel to people and help them to really uh, consider it. Love to see more of that. I'd love to see more uh, conferences like this one I'm about to mention, a Biola Digital Ministry Conference. If you are at all interested in digital ministry, I would encourage you to download. I think this is on iTunes U, but you could just Google it to find the MP3s. Biola Digital Ministry Conference. It has a lot of really good, thought-provoking um, presentations by very, very well-done people. Uh, Mobile Ministry Magazine, the people that run that, uh, are, are presenters there. And they are really more than just a mobile ministry. Um, I, I think that they're kind of the, the forefront of of the technical ministry people because they are really trailblazing a lot of stuff and and especially in the the developing world how all this stuff can can uh, make sense uh and really be used to i mean if you, it, 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 it's sometimes frustrating to see the kind of stuff that they're coming up with and to think oh my goodness why are we as as a as a body as a, as, as of christians why are we not totally embracing this because this is revolutionary this is something that will uh, be a tool that is is unprecedented that we can re- really, you know, change the world and all that. But we'd need content. We need people that are content makers for a lot of this stuff. And anyway, I uh, may or may not talk more about that in the future. So show note wise, that's pretty much it. I will have a lot of other um, other things to say about the changes that are upcoming with the podcast and the other websites. And it has a lot to do with simplification. I've got so many websites out right, right now that I, that I hope by simplifying everything, I'm going to really be able to, to do more and create more content that will be helpful. All right. So in this new format, I'm going to take three questions and I'm going to answer them as best as I know how to let's begin with question number one. Okay, so debunking false teachers on YouTube. This comes from a person who wrote this impassioned plea to for me to debunk this particular guy on YouTube um, who is spreading all kinds of false doctrines and is really, really good at it. He's got like a, you know, the, as most false teachers do, a bit of um, uh, charisma. And he has uh, really gotten people to do some crazy stuff and he is getting more and more of a messiah complex as it goes on. So he's kind of like a you know, a mini cult leader who who could develop into a major cult leader. But the fact is he has a lot of people that are already sort of uh, ensnared heavily by him. And this particular person has uh, been with the guy for a long time, seen the development of him, had a bit of a relationship with the guy in terms of, you know, offline, online kind of thing, Skype conversations, this kind of thing. But he's really seen it up close and uh, is very familiar with the guy's teaching. So he writes, he basically says, Chris, could you please debunk this guy uh, I can't do it because of these reasons, and we'll talk about those reasons in a minute. Um, but it really needs to happen. These people are in danger. Okay, This is a very similar thing that I get uh, with a lot of different things. People email me all the time, would I debunk this and would I debunk that? And uh, sometimes I think it's it's good for people to email me that because I may not have heard of something and I may, and may end up debunking it. But generally speaking... Um, I can't do all these debunkings, even though I would like to um, in a perfect world. And I did a video about this one time called, because of all these requests called How to Refute, what's it? It's called How, When, and Why to Refute False Teaching from a Biblical Perspective. Link in the show notes. And basically it is um, sh- showing people how not only to, to, to 
to when to do the debunking because I think that's important. Um, if you read through the pastoral epistles, that is First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, extremely short books, very easy to read in one sitting. I would say one third of that uh, of those uh, pastoral epistle letters are telling Timothy and Titus that 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 is part of their job. That is to refute false teaching, especially this kind of false teaching that is like cults and people that are subverting people and making them, uh, you know, hurting their faith because of uh, these weird teachings. It's a part of our job. Uh, You can make a case, well, it's just a part of Timothy's job and Titus's job. They were, you know, pastors, as it were. And, well, I guess you could look at it like that, but it doesn't really sound like that. It sounds like anybody that has this the kind of knowledge of the doctrine that they had, because that was really his focus. Like, you know the the right doctrine here. Uh, so it is therefore your job to do something about it. Uh, and I would say that really constitutes a third of the pastoral epistles is the, the imploring Timothy and Titus to do these debunkings. Um, and you would say, I would say, as I have before, the, the first writings of the church are apologetics, Ir- Irenaeus, or uh, Irenaeus, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Uh, he wrote volumes and volumes and volumes debunking Gnosticism. Gnosticism has never recovered from what uh, Irenaeus did to it. It was just a systematic destruction of Gnosticism. Um, anyway. The point is, that video has everything that you need to go from A to Z to debunk a false teacher. It has how to actually do the research from how to do video and audio recording and all that stuff. Even if you don't know anything about it, it shows you everything you need to know about it. But anyway, that's in the show notes. If you look at the things that I have debunked in the past, um, things like Ancient Aliens and Jordan Maxwell and Michael Tassarian and David Icke and Greg Braden and, you know, the sacred name stuff. And I could go on and on, but I'd say 90% of the things that I have done any kind of debunking stuff on has been stuff that I personally at one time believed. So it was, it was something that I had a desire to. And I make the case in that video that that desire to debunk something is the only thing that you need. You don't need to know anything about Windows Movie Maker or whatever uh, free video editing software there is out there. Um, when I first, um, you know, the first thing I ever did, I, I actually learned how to to um, put you know images into Movie Maker because I needed to debunk Michael Tassari, and that was why I had to. It's the desire that you need. Uh, that's all. Everything else you can get uh, and learn. Um, the research and stuff like that is is easy. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but that seems to be God's pattern a lot of times with ministry. He takes you out of something, and then he sends you back after you've been uh, trained by him. He sends you back, and then you've got to, you don't have to, but you, you often want to go and get people out of the places that you were. That's sort of the, the way it tends to go. And that is what, if I look back on the debunkings that I've done, those are mostly those things uh that and even I would say the prophecy stuff. I'm 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 very interested in the in the Bible prophecy stuff because I actually came from a you know a place that I also uh, felt like I mean I was really really into what uh, I now believe to be wrong. So it's part of the same kind of idea. I'm going back in to try to help to a degree to the person who says you know this is a lot of work and I'm not even sure where to start as far as the research and stuff like that. If you know the general stuff about this person, you pretty much have 
what you need to get started. You basically just you know, do the research by watching or listening or whatever and making a note where and when the person says something that you're not quite sure about. You know that what they just said doesn't agree with what the Bible says, but you don't really have any information yet to determine exactly if that's wrong or not. You don't need to be able to debunk somebody or know everything, know all the truth about everything that that person is saying and why it's wrong specifically to debunk them. You just need to decide to do it and you'll learn along the way. Because you just got to watch it and say, okay, that's something crazy. And I discussed this in the video that I made about and and how to do this. But you, you see something like, okay, I'll make a note. He said this right at this time signature. Now I'm going to stop and I'm going to research that. Or you could collect all the places first and then go back and do the research. But uh, you can then you just take that one issue and just try to discover everything you possibly can about the truth of what that person said. Is it true? Why? Why not? Look at both sides of the issue. And I make the case in that video that that oftentimes simply knowing more about that issue is all you need to do because all of a sudden you'll be able to debunk it like like that because you'll see the error in what they're saying and you'll be able to uh, so to knowing more about any particular subject which you don't know at first, but you will as soon as you have a reason to, after they say something and you know it sounds kind of wrong, you discover whatever it is and you make a note and then you, what, you can basically write a little script, uh, assuming you're going to play the little clip where he's saying something wrong, and then you write the little part where you are saying why it's wrong. Simple, simple stuff. You don't have to know it uh, uh, right off the bat. The Bible is right every time. This is the thing that's that, as I, I said in the video, I didn't start off with this idea of just watching something and as soon as they say something that's against the Bible, then I make a check mark and say, like, I'm going to research that because it's it, it doesn't align with the Bible and we'll see. I, I bet you anything that's a wrong fact. Um, and that's when I've discovered that if I just look for the truth then, and that includes reading the people that are against it, reading the people that are on the other other side of the thing, not just the stuff that I wish was, was true, but both sides of the issue, then it starts to become clear why one side is saying one thing and the other side says the other thing, and you begin to have resolution about what the actual real issue is. So, But what, what I'm trying to say is that through the process of that over time, I have now uh, have great trust that the Bible is like completely perfect that's the kind of thing that is the benefit from doing this stuff is that you start to have a trust in the authority of what the bible says that it really is true in what it uh, claims and uh as well the, the quote is attributed to lots of people but uh the bible doesn't need you to defend it it's like a lion you just let it out of its cage and it will defend itself Anyway, so a few objections this person had, and a person like yourself might have about some issue, is credibility. That person was saying, you need to do this, Chris, because they've seen your videos and they would respect it if you if you did it. And I would say the opposite. The credibility issue is the person who has been there and, and has been in it. Uh, that's the guy that has credibility. This particular person would have immense credi- credibility because he has... Um, been a follower of this guy to a degree, not a follower, but a person who has uh, knows all of the guy's stuff and you know is very uh, pro this guy and knows the ins and outs of his teachings. This guy is the guy who has credibility. Similarly, this is especially true, and the reason why I don't tackle big issues like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons uh, in any kind of debunkumentary, uh, 
but anyway, there's this guy that illustrates this, A Course in Miracles, and I've talked about this before. He wrote before asking me to, to do something about The Course in Miracles. And as he was discussing this, it became very clear that this guy, who was you know now wonderfully saved, was like an expert in the Course of Miracles, which is a very, it's a, you know, channeled writing that was a very seductive and just very awful, blasphemous kind of stuff, but it has this sort of uh, um, veneer of, of religiosity and stuff like that. Anyway, so he knew a lot about it, knew what, where it was wrong, and knew had had the tools to do all this himself, and me encouraging him in that, Really, I hope, I don't know if he actually ever did anything about it, but it sounded like he was really encouraged to do something about it. That guy has the credibility to go in there and to bring people out of the Course in Miracles. He will get some, he will not get all of them, but but that is a powerful thing to have a person who is formerly, for example, you know, a Course in Miracles advocate to put out a video and he knows where all of them are. You know, he knows where they're all over here in this forum or on this Facebook page or on this whatever. I'm telling you, you become super dangerous when you go back in because you know where they are. You know what they believe. You are the guy to do it or gal to do it. Um, I can promise you that. And it's a fruitful thing because I, I, it's just it's just the way God has worked in the past and the way that it seems though, as though he blesses uh, that work. And it's good. You'll feel good about doing this. Um, it feels good to be uh, doing this kind of thing. The other, the other thing that this guy said as far as an objection was danger. He said, uh, you know, that this, his family could be in danger because this person knows who he is. And he said, they'll almost certainly know that it's me that's doing it. You know, speaking of the people that are following this guy plus this guy. And, you know, certainly we have to be prudent about that. If that's, if there really is a possibility that the guy's going to show up on your doorstep with a, a knife and stab you, stab you, then you need to be prudent about that. But in all likelihood, that's not going to happen. Um, he's probably going to be angry with you and say bad things about you and lie about you. And other people are going to send you angry emails and all kinds of bad stuff like that is going to happen. I guarantee you that if you do anything like this, you're going to be hated. You don't go up stirring up a hornet's nest and expect everything to just be hunky-dory. You are doing something that satan is not cool with so expect there to be some blowback but at the same time so what i mean you know you will develop a tough skin really quickly i mean i think any anybody that knows me and how i have uh, had to basically not deal with uh, youtube comments or facebook comments very much because there's just so much stuff that i just could waste all my time all day long uh, arguing with people that seem to just want to argue as a part of their lifestyle, you know. Um, so I just can't waste any moments on that. But that, but there are those people that you can tell really would change their mind if if you said something and, and dealt with their issues. I'd say 90% of the people that write you are not going to change their mind and it becomes apparent quickly. But I still think it's worth uh, not responding in kind and uh, dealing with the issues most of the time. That being said, don't be bogged down about it. Don't be deflated because you receive that. You will get that stuff. It's going to happen if you're doing this kind of stuff. So don't worry about that stuff. It's really not that bad to get angry emails. You get used to it after a little bit. Um, so I hope that encourages not just this person, uh, which I, I know that he has been encouraged. He, I've sent him already an audio about this, and he is encouraged and is excited about doing it. But... 
I hope it encourages somebody else to do that. I would love for us to be a community of people that that do this kind of thing, but do this kind of thing like the pastoral epistles told us to do. Deal with it's our job to deal with those things that are uh, you know causing people to turn away and that are hurting people's faith in a in a salvific type of way. Uh, and Satan has got a million different things out there like that. He's got cults everywhere basically attacking the core message of the gospel you don't have to search very far to find something to debunk whether it's in the new age world which has that as a primary goal uh, to lead people away from jesus christ and teach doctrines that are absolutely not true uh, but at the same time while dealing with that not to deal with these small uh, issues such as you know genealogies and these little things and don't have anything to do with these people or are addicted to arguments and all these kind of things that paul in the same breath is saying you got to deal with the heavy stuff, but absolutely have nothing to do with the small stuff. Uh, don't waste your time arguing amongst each other about the small stuff. Deal with the big stuff you have to. That's the thing that I would really like to, to put a caveat there. I'd love to see us doing this kind of stuff and producing media because it's powerful, uh, but at the same time, not using our, our resources to sort of inflate our egos, which is what I think most of this is based on in our little community. That is, uh, we, we want to have the elite, especially new Christians, new to this. We're, we all want to be elite. We want to know the thing that nobody else does, so it really manifests in this hyper-discernment where everybody's an apostate except for fill-in-the-blank. And, uh, you know, that that's just a thing that we have uh, it's gone off the rails here in our little community and i wish it weren't so but the fact is that it is so uh anyway so that's that i i really want to do some more debunkings i've looked into and i periodically always check the numbers on certain issues to see um whether or not it would be worth doing uh one of them i kept thinking about eckhart tolle because i see the guy on top of like every you know, bestseller book thing, and 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 you would think, based on a lot of the stuff that you see about Eckhart Tolle, that the world is enthralled with Eckhart Tolle. Um, but you know something interesting about that? If you do a Google keyword tool search on Eckhart Tolle, the guy gets almost you know very few uh, average monthly. I mean, it's you know, comparatively a lot, but but if you if you look at it like this, um, about five times more people are googling David Icke than they are Eckhart Tolle. Uh, five times as many people are Googling ancient aliens than they are Eckhart Tolle. He's really not that big. I mean, he's bigger than somebody like uh, you know, Greg Braden or Michael Tassarian or something like that. But uh, he's definitely not uh, he, you know, that as big as you would think. I, I tend to think maybe he's getting pushed real hard by publishers and people that are putting him on top of the bestseller list via probably sneaky means or whatever. That's my guess anyway, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of grassroots uh, stuff that would put him there, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe he is. Uh, anyway, I, I still keep my eye out all the time for stuff that is worthy of a, a grand, uh, debunking, but I, at the moment I still have so many projects that are, uh, incomplete that I, I, that are taking up a lot of my time. So, so that is where I'm at with that. Okay. Moving on to question number two. Question number two is regarding the Feast of Trumpets. It never fails. The old Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, Rapture uh, question comes up uh, all the time. We've got this coming up uh, in a few, not too not too long. This is going to be all on everybody's Facebook page, and maybe it's going to be this year that the Rapture is going to happen on Rosh Hashanah and all this stuff. And I'm going to do, uh, hopefully, it's soon, as soon as I get done with the Daniel commentary, which hopefully should be soon, um, 
I'm going to do a small video, a, a series of small videos, one of which is going to be on this uh, idea of Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets and its relation to the rapture. I've done a podcast about this before, but there's some things I want to add to that. And that podcast, like this one, is kind of rambling, but I thought it would be worth uh, discussing this. Um, so the Feast of Trumpets, first of all, it's... Let me just say what people say about it. They say that the rapture is going to occur on the Feast of Trumpets. They just they say that as a as a theological fact, and they say it um, for a lot of reasons. The primary one is that because in Matthew twenty four and Second Thessalonians two, uh, well, for, excuse me, First Thessalonians four, it talks about the last trump being associated with the rapture. Basically, that's with the sound of a trumpet. You know, you hear. Um, you hear the Lord say at the and all of the discourse of Matthew 24, and you sit, hear Paul say at the last trump. And so there's this idea of a trumpet at the rapture, and they basically say, well, trumpet, trumpet. Where is there any trumpets? Some people will say, well, there's trumpets in the Book of Revelation. You know, there's the seven trumpet judgments. So let's make one of those be the rapture, and the last trump, well, the last in a series, would be seven. Uh, the seventh, so they they force that theology to to be uh, to be speaking of the the seventh trumpet. Now there's a ton of problems with that. Number one is the fact that you would you would totally go against what Paul said uh, later, which was that we won't endure the day of the Lord. That is, the rapture happens to get us out of the day of the Lord because the day of the Lord happens directly after that. Um, we are not to endure wrath, as he says, but the, but the, of course the the trumpet judgments are explicitly wrath. That is, that it says that's when the wrath begins. Is the first trumpet on through the bowl? So the wrath of God, that is the day of the Lord, includes. So you've got that problem, and but still people try to fit it in there, even though there's other issues with that as well. Um, one problem with that is that the word last trump is not uh, last, as in the last of a series, uh, that is to say the seventh trumpet. When you see the last in a series, like we sometimes use the word last. But the word is specifically eschatos, which means the last, which means like uh, the last day's trumpet, if you will. You know, when we hear the, hear the last day's trumpet, then we, and that goes along with what uh, the Lord is saying, the sound of a trumpet in relation to the rapture. But there's much, much more to what Paul was referring to. You've got another problem with it being the seven trumpets, because, of course, there would be no context for Paul's listeners to to to, he, to understand seventh trumpet. You you could make the, the kind of case, which is an impossible hermeneutic thing, that is to say it doesn't happen in any other place, where Paul is expecting, well, John's later going to write this book, and then you guys are going to understand this, you know, a few decades later on, when this is circulate, what I'm saying right now about this last trump will make sense. But right now, it's absolutely impossible for you to understand what this last trump that I'm referring to is about. That is a possibility, but it's, it would be the only time that something like that happens in terms of a way that we're supposed to understand the Bible. I, I propose that what Paul was talking about with the last trump and what Jesus was talking about with the, the at the trumpet call referring to the rapture is... All over the scripture, it's widely known, and it would have been to Paul uh, absolutely uh, unmistakable what he was talking about, the trumpet sound that has re reference to the rapture. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. This is uh, another aspect of this that I didn't really fully appreciate until uh, Charles Cooper put out a, uh, uh, 
uh, a, an article on May the 5th, 2013, called The Rapture and the Feast of Trumpets are Separated and Unrelated. So here he makes a few cases about why the Rapture and the Feast of Trumpets have nothing to do with one another. The second reason I thought was extremely interesting, something I'd never heard before and, or until this article, which is, uh, I'll just read, I'll quote from him. He says, The second reason I know that the Rapture has nothing to do with the so-called Feast of Trumpets is because there is no such thing as a Feast of Trumpets. Even my good friend and brother, Marvin Rosenthal, and keep in mind, Marvin Rosenthal started as a ministry and is still a ministry that is extremely uh, pro-Israel. It's, you know, is very uh, uh, knows a lot of stuff about Israel, and you know, is if you, if you know who Marvin Rosenthal is, and you know that's what he uh, he, he's he's, up, he's about. Um, he says, even my brother Marvin Rosenthal, and that's why probably why uh, Cooper here is appealing to Marvin Rosenthal, and that he has a lot of credibility in that somebody that knows a lot about the history of the the Jewish world and stuff. He says, even Marvin Rosenthal admits, quote, the designation, i.e. the Feast of Trumpets, was not applied to this feast until at least the second century AD, more than one thousand five hundred years after the institution of the holiday. The second century AD, that's two hundred years after Jesus. Okay, so this is well into you know the early church period, you know, the post Jesus period, uh two hundred years in fact after. Additionally, the first this first feast of Tishri is never called the Feast of Trumpets in the Bible. The title Rosh Hashanah, uh, that's, that is, it's not called that, which is where we get the idea of Feast of Trumpets. It's not called Rosh Hashanah, which the Jews now call the Feast of Tishri, does not occur in Scripture in connection with this feast either. Either Thus, the whole line of argumentation built on the notion that the rapture will occur at the, quote, Feast of Trumpets is built upon misapplying a lie. Unlike Passover or the Atonement, the first feast of Tishri has no biblical examples in Scripture. How the Jews were to celebrate this feast is unknown and completely lost to history. There is not one recorded example in the Bible of the children of Israel celebrating this feast, nor is there a record in Jewish writings outside the Bible of an actual celebration of this feast before the 2nd century A.D. There is 200 years after the death of the Lord Jesus, uh, that is 2,000 years after the death of the Lord Jesus. One writer states regarding the first two feasts of Tishri, quote, Neither holiday is mentioned by Josephus except for paraphrases of biblical passages. If Josephus were, uh, were our only evidence, we might conclude the holiday were not even celebrated in his day. So, that's an interesting thing. Now, where do we get the idea of Feast of Trumpets then? Well, if you go to places that it's mentioned, like Leviticus 23, Numbers 21, you'll, you'll see that the word for blowing trumpets is in italics in most translations. That is, that they don't appear in the original language. So, for example, Numbers 29, on the first day of the seventh month, you are uh, holding a holy assembly. You must do your ordinary work, for it is a day of blowing trumpets for you. And blowing trumpets is in italics. Uh, and the, it's, it, it, the reason it's in italics is because the word there um, doesn't mean blowing trumpets. Um, it, the word basically means shout. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard has it, tell the Israelites in the seventh month of the first day of the month you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, and joyful shouting, a sacred assembly. You must not do any work. You must present a fire offering to the Lord. So it's pretty basic of what is supposed to go down. But Young's literal translation says, Speak unto the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of shouting. Okay, the reason why people have 
uh, made this be about trumpets is because when this word, how to say this, this word appears most of the time referring to the shouting with your mouth. Uh, most of the instances, I think it's like 27 of the 36, I can't remember the exact numbers, are, are to do with shouting with one's mouth. It can mean a shouting of cymbals, trumpets, uh, and there's another sort of musical instrument that it can be. And in the few instances where it's an instrument, in fact, every instance of this word um, has to have a qualifier. The context determines what it is that will be doing the shouting. For instance, in, in the 20-some instances where the shouting is is obviously a, a person's mouth making the shouting, it gives a qualifier. That is, a, a mouth, lips, uh, or something like that is mentioned as this word having to do with that. And, and it's obviously the case in the few instances where a musical instrument is said to be doing the shouting. It also contains the word of the actual Hebrew word for trumpet or the Hebrew word uh, for symbol or whatnot. In other words, if you just have this word by itself, there is no way whatsoever to determine that this has to do with trumpets. And so when the translators go back in and they type in uh, or they, they, they put in a feast of trumpets, and it's in italics again because it doesn't appear, then they are basically being influenced by the Jewish tradition, the sort of rabbinic Jude Judaism tradition of the blowing of the trumpets and the, sh and the shofars and all the stuff that we hear of when we hear the, you know, the presentations about, you know, the Jewish people do this and this is why this has to do with the rapture. Everything that they're saying is extra biblical. There's no biblical reason for them to be doing all those things with the trumpet. Uh, so the translators are therefore being influenced by saying, well, it must have something to do with trumpets because these guys are blowing trumpets. And so we'll just call it Feast of Trumpets, even though it's a feast of shouting, uh, which cannot be said to have anything to do with trumpets because it doesn't give you any kind of qualifier. Now, um, here's the issue. I don't really know. Uh, it, it certainly could be about trumpets, whatever. It certainly is not. It's not. You can't make that distinction for sure. Uh, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say if it has anything to do with trumpets. It has something to do with shouting is what you're supposed to do. In addition, it's never said why they're supposed to do this feast. You know, some of the feasts like the Feast of Atonement, you know, or, uh, or you know, Passover, it has to do with Egypt and everything else. And we know, we're told in Scripture why that feast is being done. With with this particular feast, the Tishri, the first month, uh, the Tishri feast, we're not told why. Uh, and therefore, all these presentations that say, oh, well, this is about the rapture and, you know, this anything that they appeal to in terms of rabbinic Judaism is extra biblical. And so all that to say that um, that it's a very, very flimsy ground to be saying to be pointing to all that stuff. In addition, well, I, I could go to some other points that he makes in this article. That is to say that the other feasts were fulfilled exactly on the day you know that they were supposed to be fulfilled. So, for example, the first three feasts that were fulfilled by Christ with his uh, death, burial, and resurrection and everything are fulfilled on the days of the feasts, which all occur very, very quickly. Uh, you know, Within just a few days, those feasts, those three feasts happen. And so Jesus on the day of those feasts is actually fulfilling it. So if there's a pattern fulfillment, then we would expect these last three feasts, which occur in only a 21-day period. You know, all three feasts are within 21 days, these last three unfulfilled final feasts. And if they're supposed to... Uh, you know, the Feast of Trumpets, as the pre-tribulationalists would say, occurs, you know, before a, quote, seven-year tribulation period, then 
then then you've got 21 days to basically conclude conclude the Day of Atonement, which I'm sure that they would say has to do with the atoning of the, the people of Israel. But there's no really there's no theology that makes 21 days after the you know after the the rapture have anything to do with the atonement. And that's a major, major problem in terms of pattern fulfillment. But I, I just want to put that out there as far as there are big problems with the fact that the Feast of Trumpets, that is Rosh Hashanah, is not even in the Bible, uh, so to speak. But we also have the much better explanation of the uh, last trump that Paul refers to or the rapture being a um, uh, said to occur on uh, as the uh, sound of a great trump, as it says there in Matthew. So what I would suggest for anybody to do is to go to, for example, Joel chapter 2, which starts out, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. That's, that's two interesting ideas. Sounding an alarm, blowing a trumpet. If you do a word search for trumpet and alarm, you're going to find a lot of different things. There are two different things, a trumpet and an alarm. And they had, by Joel's time, this is a classic Day of the Lord passage, as we'll see, but uh, by Joel's time, the trumpet and, and alarm, that idea, those phrases had become uh, indicative of the Day of the Lord. And I'm going to show you why here in a minute. But let's continue. Joel 2, 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the Day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. First of all, you got to realize that back in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul is not just kind of talking about the day of the Lord. He mentions it specifically. It is like if you go to First Thessalonians 4 where the where the big rapture passage is you know it'll start in 15. For we say unto you by the word of the Lord that you are alive and asleep um, remain until the coming of the Lord and all this stuff. If you go into the next chapter which there shouldn't be a chapter break in chapter 5 but it says if you you know, it's talking about the rapture, and it says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you, know, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in a night. So Paul refers to what he just got done saying as the day of the Lord, which we know is the rapture. The reason he refers to the day of the Lord as the rapture is because they are the same event in a sense. That is, the rapture happens because the day of the Lord is now beginning. The rapture happens to get us out of there before the day of the Lord begins. So they're back-to-back events. Basically, Paul is talking about the day of the Lord when he says, last trump. And you don't just... uh, Basically, Paul is an extremely good student of not just Joel, but Zephaniah, who also mentions this, and other people that associate the day of the Lord with this blowing of a trumpet. And so the prophets had, by their time... Uh, associated the the trumpet and alarm with the day of the Lord. Now, what is a trumpet and alarm? We go to Leviticus. No, excuse me. We go to Numbers uh, 10. Numbers 10. Let me find it over here. And the whole thing is pretty much about that. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Okay, so that's pretty interesting because it's a gathering. Okay, there, that's what... The, the, the angels gathering the elect together in the clouds, there's a reason why the, the, these silver, not these aren't the ram's horn 
uh, Rosh Hashanah trumpets. These are completely different. These are silver trumpets. That the first one was to gather the elect, or in this case, the, the children of Israel, to the the the, the tabernacle of meeting, to the to the tabernacle. And that's the illusion that the Lord is making. That I am assuming a, a any Jew would understand a gathering trumpet uh, is pretty well obvious to them in their uh, in their understanding that you, you blew a trumpet to gather. So the gathering them all together, that's what the first one was. But the second one, and he goes on and he says, but if they blow only one, the leaders of the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather into you. When the sound of them advance, the camps lie on the east shall then begin their journey. When the sound in advance the second time, um, and they lie on the south shall begin their journey, they shall sound the call for them to begin their journey. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sound of Aaron the priest shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be your ordinance. Now here's it, Numbers 10.9. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. You will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Okay. <laughs> That is obvious. It should be. If you're going to blow the trumpet once, or you're going to sound uh, blow the trumpet for gathering together, the second trumpet, however, if you're sounding an alarm, then you are now uh, going. The, the, as it says, God, you will be saved from your enemies by God, and that is what the day of the Lord essentially is doing: is beginning to the day of the Lord is destroying the wicked, which is all fleshed out by the prophets as in defining what the day of the Lord is. That's why Peter and Paul. Uh, both refer to, and they, they flesh this out in their own writings. How can the day of the Lord be both good and bad? Well, it's good for us, but it's bad for them. That is what Paul is referring to by the idea of the last trump. And it's also what the Lord is referring to when he says you'll be gathered together at the sound of a trumpet call. That is referring to Numbers 10. So, uh, Rosh Hashanah has nothing to do with the rapture, and there is very little evidence to suggest it has anything to do with trumpets whatsoever. So when Rosh Hashanah comes this next year, hopefully I'll have a video out by then that's short to the point that says all this stuff in a much clearer way, in a much faster way that you can send to your friends and family that say that. Okay, moving on to question number three. Question number three is about sin. And the question is mostly about turning again and being and struggling with old sins that they thought they had defeated before, and I sympathize with this because it's a uh, you know especially you know if you coming from all kinds of different backgrounds and stuff like that we all struggle with all kinds of stuff that has burned our brains you know and and created these synapses that shouldn't be there and stuff like that and most of us and I hope everybody that that I'll be talking to here that that when I talk about old sin talking about maybe Christians that have been Christians for a long time. And I, I'm talking to Christians who have tasted and understand what the Holy Spirit is like when it changes you and gives you new desires. And you've seen this progression in your life and you're a million miles away from where you were at the beginning. Yet, um, you know, yet you're still struggling with certain areas and you're kind of at this place where you're you know, you're not progressing as fast and things like that. And I would just want to encourage you first of all and say Okay, look, you're obviously you're not going to be progressing as as fast as you were back then because you had a lot more to deal with back then. So, it, so you you're sometimes uh, comparing your progression back then with your progression now, and it, it's hard to do that because it's never going to work. You're never going to uh, have such noticeable change uh, in terms of getting rid of sin because you had more sin to get rid of back then. 
now you got you got a lot of things hanging around that I bet if you looked at it objectively you would say okay that's not nearly as bad as what it was though there are there are instances out there that people are dabbling with things that has the potential to to get them into a place that is is much worse um with this I would say first of all you know that dabbling a little bit is going to be detrimental as soon as you start doing one of these things you know whether it's uh you know alcohol cigarettes whether it's uh, pornography any number of things it's going you give it an inch it will take a mile it will begin to be a bigger problem for you and you're going to have a harder time and it's just you know, I think that it's it's harder for you to actually fall all the way with it. If you're truly saved, it's because you know the, the Lord is really dealing with you. And if you're if you are uh, involved in this and you're basically trying to um, to do this, trying to get back into it in a sense, the Lord is really dealing with you. And you know it's not um, good. You can feel this this weight of I've got to not do this, something has to be done, this can't go on like this, I can't live my life like this, you're logically saying, okay, this is not a sustainable form of living. You could you could express that and write it down, all the different reasons why this has to stop right now, but the fact remains, you know, you have to, um, you have to start declaring war on it, and you need to, it feels good to declare on war on something. And it doesn't mean that you aren't going to lose battles and the enemy isn't going to uh, win a few battles in the war. Uh, but the war needs to be declared. You need to write, and I know that that war sometimes needs to be redeclared and redeclared and redeclared because we are, you know, as Paul describes it, we're in this tent, uh, this tent where the things that we want to do we're not doing and it's just it would get, it's going to be great to be out of this tent and to not be uh, burdened by this but the fact is that it's okay to be burdened uh, and be a Christian it's okay to have uh, to, to fight uh, a war and to lose battles if you're a Christian stop letting this define you in a negative way uh, because so much of the negative stuff well I'm not doing good in my Christian life and that that has a snowball effect until now you're not doing this or not reading the Bible or not praying or whatever because you're doing bad and whatnot and well uh, try not to look at it so much like that I did I put this um this on Facebook uh, the other day it's a quote from uh, a w tozer and it says the following I like it because it really expresses um what I'd like to say here in this segment. It says, He remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this he does with a smile, the proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. And I think that it's like your your child uh, is, if you have a child that is doing wrong, and you correct that child, and you you can see everything about why the child is doing it or whatever. But it doesn't mean that that child is any less your child. It it just means that you're going to come up with a different way to try to teach them the lesson and try to to um, to get them to not do that. But they're still your child, and you still love them. And as they grow up, they are going to look more and more like you. It is inevitable that they will. They are growing up and you are growing up too. If you're saved, the Lord is dealing with you in this, but you've got to not let the sin rule over you and really embrace the identity that the New Testament uh, gives us with this idea of not letting 
uh, sin rule over us. I love Genesis 4, 7 when, when after Cain, you know, Cain killed his brother Abel and all that stuff because he was jealous of him, basically. And before he actually kills his brother, after he gets jealous, God comes up to Cain and he's like, hey, uh, Cain, wh- why are you angry? What, what, why is your countenance fallen? You know, like as, as if God doesn't know. And he shows them that he does know in the next verse. And he tells them, look, you know, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And he goes on to sort of talk about that. But he, but he says something interesting about Cain's place that he is right now and this sin that uh, that is about to take Cain over. He says, he says a warning about it. He says, um, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Okay? There's something at your door. A big growling monster, snarling, spitting monster. And it desires to to kill you. It's not It's not going away. That, that monster is going to be around as you're here on this earth. You're going to have to have this snarling monster just just within reach of you. Okay? And it's it, it's always wanting to kill you. To eat you. But what you need to do is basically train it, put a leash on the thing, and you know walk it through the grocery store because it's so trained. You know you can you can you have this thing, it, it, but I don't know how to. That's a terrible analogy. But basically, you should rule over it. It should not rule over you. That's the great thing about being in Christ is that you have the power to rule over it. <coughs> Most people do not have the power to rule over it. They are a slave to it. They have a leash on their neck. But you, in and I think that if you really analyze. Um, analyze again. This is a good, another good reason to read through the pastoral epistles in one setting, sitting. First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Great books to read through for this, discussing the identity uh, of a Christian who, in a non-condemning way, saying, "Look, we need to be striving towards this. We need to be people who are temperate in all things, and and, and dealing with this stuff and, and subduing all this stuff as a is a as an identity." And so. Um, since we have the power to do so, and what once it's the same thing, you know, with the, with this bad part. If you give an inch, it takes a mile. Well, the same is true on the declaring war side. If you take an inch, you get uh, a mile. Every every step that you take, it gets easier and easier and easier. But anyways, so I guess that is the show for today. And I want to thank you. I want to remind you of a few different things. Remember, if you have any questions, please help me uh, by sending them to me, whether they are Facebook messages, private messages, or they are through the website, Nowhere to Run Radio. But I'd love to hear questions that are about, um, you know, what you would like to hear me deal with on the show. I'd like to really have uh, good questions that need to be talked about. And so... Please send those questions, and also, if you want to, go see the show notes on the website where you can ask a question and see the show notes and get the link to the Biola Digital Ministry Conference, get a link to the book Made to Stick. Um, Also, you might want to go to my Facebook page to check out all those gospel uh, videos I've been talking about and the kind of thing that I'm interested in. If you know of a community that is a Facebook group or a uh, forum that uh, maybe we could begin to to be active on and I could point people to I'd love to hear about that I'd love to uh, have a place to point uh, a safe place to point a lot of the listeners that would like some kind of online fellowship there uh, just recapping about false teachers you are the person who needs to do it uh, please check the show notes for that uh, video that explains everything you need to know about how to do it 
about the Feast of Trumpets, you can check out Charles Cooper's article. You can also check out uh, my uh, old podcast on that. I think it's called Trumpet Mania, as well as I think I did one for the uh, the Bible Prophecy Talk podcast, which uh, is going through a big overhaul right now. I'm really excited about the prophecy section of the sites or the sites. I'm, I'm converging them all into one site called prophecyandthebible.com, tentatively named anyway. We're really trying to do that website well. And uh, finally, uh, how to overcome old sin and the need to declare war, even though you may have to redeclare it and continue to fight battles. But really, to let that to to gain mastery over that uh, that snarling monster at the door. Okay, hope this helps, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time. Stay around.